You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. The Archaeology Podcast Network is sponsored by PCS Jobs. APN listeners can post for free by going to arcpodnet.com forward slash PCS. That's $50 off the normal price at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash PCS. Hello and welcome to the Archaeotech Podcast, episode 53. I'm your host, Chris Webster, with my co-host, Chris Sims. On today's show, we triple down the Chris action and talk to Chris Cameron about an app that is supposed to identify projectile points from a photo. Haven't we all been waiting for this? Let's get to it. All right, we're back for another Archaeotech. And uh, Chris Sims, how's it going? Hey, it's going well. Awesome. And uh, in, in our constant quest to try to find as many Chris's as possible to get on a podcast, um, we have Chris Cameron. Chris Cameron, how's it going? Good, good. <laughs> so, and I know we've talked to Chris Cameron before about some of the other things you've done. You had a shovel testing application we talked to you about a couple of years ago, I think. Um, if I can find that, I'll try to put that in the show notes because I'm pretty sure we talked about that. We did. That was uh, uh, 2015. Yeah. Like yeah. I'll have to find out. I'll have to find out what podcast that was. That was either on Archaeotech here or it was on the CRM Archaeology podcast. I can't remember. It was on Archaeotech. Was it? Yeah, you know better than I do. Yeah. So we'll we'll link to that in the show notes so you guys can hear about the other stuff that, uh, that Chris has got his hands in. Uh, Chris Cameron, that is. But for now, so I've been seeing, I saw you post something about this. I think my first seeing of it, you know, you can't see everything on Facebook because Facebook. But the first time I saw you post about what we're going to talk about was probably a couple of weeks ago, I think. And then now I've seen some more as people are responding and, and you're, you're posting some other stuff. So what it looks like to me is you've, you're, you're producing a projectile point identification application. So tell us, tell us more about it. Uh, well, from a user standpoint, it's actually pretty simple. You upload your photo and it comes back with uh, uh, a list of uh, styles that uh, are consistent with it and uh, each one provides a confidence interval. Obviously, the highest one is the one you want to look at first. And uh, so far, she's doing pretty well. She's getting smarter every day. Nice. So you you developed this app from just from scratch. You've created it. Um, and are you are you feeding in uh, like measurements and things like that? Or how is the app identifying points? No, no, no. This is uh, no, it's machine learning. Uh, okay. So that's that's why I'm on Facebook begging people for <laughs> onesie twosie photos of uh, already identified projectile points because mm -hmm. uh, I have to build up big photo libraries for each one. So and it's as you might imagine, it's actually pretty hard to find, say, 500 photos of uh, you know, Jack's Reef Point. Right. Right. <laughs> And uh, Chris, what what kind of time does it take for someone to upload a photo and then get a result back? Oh, it's instantaneous. Nice, really? or, or near near instantaneous. Yeah, there's no there's no no significant processing time. Maybe one second or two seconds if your internet connection is slow. What do you have this? What kind of platform do you have this running on right now? Uh, I can't really talk about it too much. Okay, that <laughs> understand understandable. Uh, yeah, um, but it's uh, it, it's it's um. Anybody that's familiar with computing, uh, the, the basic idea is that it's QA, computing, question, answer, mm -hmm. uh, combined with um, the ability to, to, uh, to relearn from error. So uh, I, I guess the best way to visualize it is I you know, make a bunch of silos, you know, a folder of each type of point. Mm -hmm. uh, I send them all in uh, to the AI, and she... Um, basically kind of sorts them out, uh, tries to see within each uh, typology what the patterns are, and then uh, uh, puts a certain amount of distance between 
each typology, which means that you know, I'm having to incrementally add to her. I can't just get all the point types and put them in and then check because it, you know, if you add, say, two more point types, that then affects you know, her decisions about ones that maybe previously were correct or now wrong. And it's not even with the new one that you put in because it changes the relative distance between groups. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that's the fastest, easiest, <laughs> uh, least technical way to describe it is it's just it's a, uh, a pile. Imagine a pile of pictures that you're moving around the floor and putting more or less distance between each one. Right. So I've had I've had the thought of uh, ever since I saw the app Leaf Snap a long time ago, I, I was thinking, man, this needs to be available for archaeology. And I'm not sure how Leaf Snap works in the background, if it's like a machine learning thing or 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 what the, what it's doing. But the basic idea was you take a picture of a leaf on a white background because then it creates a high contrast um, solid white back with the black leaf. And then you can identify a tree based on the leaf and the leaf has the different lobes and points and things like that. And it's, and it's accurate every single time, um, as long as it can read those, those features on the leaf. So I was thinking, man, projectile points have like the same things, you know, they have size and shape and, uh, and all kinds of different attributes to them that we record that we use to help identify what that projectile point is. So this totally makes sense to me, but some problems I've been thinking that could arise, um, with identifying a projectile point are, uh, let's say, you know, there are some, some like larger points out there. Hell, even like a Clovis point or something like that has size variation across the country. Yet we still call it a, a Clovis point. You know, you see really small ones, you see big ones, you see different sizes. They all have the same features, but they might be, have different sizes. Have you encountered any problems with a point that's called the same thing that, but that might have some variation within its own typology? So, uh, so I guess, well, first let me say what, uh, you should send me the link to whatever that app is. I've never heard of it. Just <laughs> it might curious. not be, it might not still live. <laughs> I'll find out yeah, though. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, we, we don't have to do things like put it on a white background or anything. Uh, just holding it in your hand or on a table or on the ground in a picture seems to be plenty good. Um, yeah, so things it will, it, and because there's no scale in, in, the vast majority of photos, uh, size, I don't think is actually taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, to be quite honest, I, I don't know exactly everything that's going on under the hood just because she's learning. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and while, uh, she's designed to learn in, uh, an error correct in the same ways that people do, uh, sometimes she clearly thinks differently than we do. I haven't named her yet. So sorry if I, I don't have a, a, a classy <laughs> name like Siri or Alexa or anything. Uh, right. Or right. Um, uh, but sometimes she'll come back with like really surprising, like second and third guesses. <laughs> uh, you're like, that's not even close. How did you get that? But, <laughs> but uh, I uh, find uh, that she, in, in our tests, um, most iterations we're on our 23rd iteration, uh, of the alpha right now, uh, we're working on, she's training on the 24th, um, uh, find that she tends to have greater than 95% accuracy. I'm sure she's probably more accurate than <laughs> most people, certainly than me. Um, uh, so, you know, there are a few unique challenges when it comes to classifying points, because while there is a science to it, you know, as we all know, around the margins, uh, you know, the, the boundaries between some of these point types can be a little fuzzy. Um, and so far, she's been able to navigate that quite well. And when she didn't, I was able to just, you know, find another 20 or 30 examples of each, and that, that tended to sort the problems. 
which is why I'm on Facebook constantly begging people right now and hitting up <laughs> every CRM company that I know anybody that works there if they have anything that they could share. Um, because, you know, I don't need context or site data or anything. I just need stuff that's already identified. Um, and she's pretty well trained up on North Carolina points at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, but with points, because the boundaries between types can be a little, uh, a little shifty, um, you know, you have to be careful, um, particularly when you know, I have to take a, a lot of where my photo libraries are coming from is from, uh, academic publications, which, um, tend to be a lot of drawings and composite sketches and stuff that, you know, just like with dinosaurs, we rarely find the whole skeleton. Sometimes you have like idealized pictures and you got to make sure you're not grabbing those or just ones that are out and out improperly identified. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's been the real challenge is building up the, the reference library. Um, I feel like I've kind of wandered away from whatever your original question was. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're 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 right on track, actually, um, and that leads into my second concern I've had about this, which you may not be able to answer yet, um, because once you you know get a library that includes points across the country, then this is the the other question I've always had, and it's always nagged me in my back of my brain, and sometimes right at the front of my brain, depending on how many drinks I've had and who I'm talking to. But um, it's always nagged me that like. I'll, I'll go back to a Clovis point because that one irritates the crap out of me. You know, we call Clovis points, Clovis points, no matter where they're found. We find Clovis points in North America, South America. We find them all over the place and they're always called Clovis points, right? Well, I also know that we find Elko uh, corner notch points out here in Nevada in the Great Basin and uh, and other and on the fringes of the Great Basin. But that shape of projectile point it exists in other places of the country, but it's called different things because it was regionally identified as something else. So, yes. Yeah. When we start having that problem, when you start building up a huge library, I'm, will your app um, offer be able to offer several possible identifications or will it will it will it try to define one? And, and can you help nail that down based on do you tell the app like where the point is or you just put in the picture and, you know, you know, if it's got a similar one in Nevada versus a similar one in New England, how do you think it's going to handle that? Yeah, so um, so at the moment, we, we, we don't have an interface built yet. This is we're just strictly focusing on the back end at the moment. For so sure. I haven't decided how many like right now when I put in a feed a point into it, it will show me the confidence interval that it matches every single point type that we have in the database right now, mm -hmm. um, which is obviously, you know, unwieldy. Um, so I'll, it'll probably, I, I'll have to think about it. It'll probably show a, uh, you know, top pick and then a, a number two and number three. Um, even when it's wrong, I've yet, I've actually not yet seen it put one up that wasn't in the top three, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, has impressed me thus far, mm -hmm. but we'll, we'll see as we add more and more variables. Um, yeah. Uh, to your point about, you know, regional, sometimes it's just strictly a different name for the same Point, but sometimes they're also um, it's much more problematic when they're they're given different um, time periods and such uh, and context because then the information about what you're getting from the point is affected by what you call it as opposed to uh, um, like uh, Jack's Reef had an earlier name that was like Broad Notch something or like you know and they just changed the name at some point um, when mm -hmm. somebody more famous decided to rename it after <laughs> some cool site. Um, uh, just as an example. And so, you know, sometimes they're just uh, nominal differences, in which case, you know, we'll probably just put in parentheses, AKA, you know, any other popular names. 
Um, and then sometimes, uh, you know, we'll just have to do it on a case-by-case basis about um, uh, in all the country, there's probably some point types that are not real point types. <laughs> uh, and quite frankly, that's pr- that the, when we put them in, they'll probably break the, break the AI <laughs> um, and we'll have to take them back out. Um, so it's possible we could um, discover some more uh, arbitrary <laughs> classifications, uh, which we, I'm not looking to try to change classifications, uh, which is exactly why we don't put in like idealized uh, sketches and stuff. Um, we want to go with what's already published. Uh, but just to give you an example, so in North Carolina, there's a point type called Mora Mountain, mm-hmm. uh, which some people break into Mora Mountain type one and Mora Mountain t- type two. And we don't need to talk about the teeny tiny little difference uh, between the two, but they have the same geographic range and the same temporal uh, assignment. So from an information standpoint, they're really the same as, as far as I know. Um, and that's one that has been giving us trouble because <laughs> uh, I was of the opinion that it was an arbitrary difference uh, and had lumped them together. Uh, and every time we've tried to feed it into the AI, it just messes up everything. Uh, <laughs> we get stuff coming out as real weird determinations. Uh, so I need to go back and break it out into one and two. Um, so I guess that's kind of the opposite of an arbitrary one, one that I thought was arbitrary, but perhaps is not the AI seeing something I don't. Um, but it could be the other way around that there are two types that are split that, uh, perhaps don't need to be, um, right. We'll just, have, I'll just have to deal with those as they come. Uh, if there's a, if there's a, some that we just can't find a, a list for, we'll, we'll just have a list of excluded ones, but I'd like <laughs> to keep it under five, <laughs> you know, just because, uh, I mean, part of the reason why points for what I went with is just, you know, anybody that's ever tried to look up a point that they don't even have a background knowledge of where to start you know, the books, just by the, just the organization of the handbooks, by their nature, they're like, um, you know, you, you don't know the name, obviously. You, you know the region you're standing in, but that yeah. may or may not be right if you're on the edge. Um, and so you're left to just, you know, thumb through 100 photos of side-notched ones or, you know, it's like a bird, bird book, you know, like those field guides, you know, where you're down to just looking by color <laughs> and you just have to look through 100 of them and sure enough, the first one you find that looks like a reasonable match, you'll probably tap your finger on the page and say, ah, oh, that's the one, write it down and go about your business. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we're trying to improve on that uh, just to save people time and make it more accurate. Well, I, I have a personal feeling that as with as with all things we hand over to computers, it's going to have a, a pretty typical progression of, oh, oh, good, this is exactly like we thought it was going to be. And wow, this thing is really smart. And holy crap, I had never even thought about that. As the thing, as the computer gets smarter and smarter and smarter, as the AI gets smarter, you know, I, I have a feeling that you may be, um, you or whoever's using this may be writing some papers on some some redesigned point typologies uh, in not too short a period of time. <laughs> so, you know, I think... Uh, I think that could definitely be it. Like we're finding with uh, just self-driving cars and and how much how much crazy there is out in the world when the self-driving cars are seeing things. You see these videos and they're seeing stuff starting to happen before we can even react to it, before we even know what's going on. The self-driving cars slow down. You're like, you're like, what the hell's going on? And all of a sudden a semi comes careening in because the, you know, the car saw it. I think the AI is going to do the same thing with point typologies and regional identifications and what people thought was unique but isn't unique or maybe it's you know more unique than you thought or it's a different thing entirely and it's not the point you thought it was 
but uh, I don't know. Uh, Chris Sims. Yeah, exactly. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this develops. And like we were talking about earlier on in the reference to uh, what was that Leafs Leaf Snap? Yeah. Uh, there's also another similar app called PlantNet, and they use uh, like shape recognition to identify plants. And um, the thing that has been a consistent comment for those is they're so powerful, but they, the only thing that they lack is just data is, yeah. is just input. And so I, I, I feel like that's a kind of a similar situation here where, uh, Chris, you've been putting out a call for people to add, uh, you know, these, these good high quality photos of points and it'll be well, really interesting. High quality. I can take as little as 32 by 32 pixels. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Nice. But yeah, so it'll be cool to see how this thing develops as it gets smarter and as the as the uh, reference library grows and all that. It'll be really interesting to see how this affects the debate over localized expression of points and stuff like that. And, you know, as we get a, a larger statistical body to actually put some, you know, like hard numbers to, you know, different trends and different time periods and stuff. It's I think it's a really cool problem you're working on there, Chris. And I, I like trying to I like trying to confuse it too. I saw the picture you put up just a day or two, Chris uh, Chris Cameron, of where you you put your own picture in there and it identifies you as a Clovis point. I know, maybe. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm not trained it on negatives because I figure no one's gonna in seriousness put in a photo that they don't oh, know if it's. <laughs> you don't know archaeologists. You know the kind of pictures that are going to be put into this thing. <laughs> Uh, you know, you know, but I don't have to see people's dick pics. So that's <laughs> maybe that's the real application for this: is what kind of point is your point? <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Well, on that right. note, let's uh, let's take a break and uh, leave people with that thought, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute with uh, with hopefully um, no more dick pics. But we'll keep going. More points. <laughs> more points. <laughs> Hosted by archaeologist Emily Long, Trial Tales is an archaeology podcast with stories told by archaeologists about the crazy world of archaeology. Emily weaves a tale of wonder and excitement with her intriguing questions and imaginative editing skills. Check out Trial Tales today at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash trial tales. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, so... Uh you know, we have an idea of what the app is like. Uh, we have an idea what what you're what you're trying to do with this thing. I I have some other questions, and maybe since it's in an alpha stage and you don't have a, a UI put on top of this thing yet, I have some questions about that people are going to ask. I think where you know you say you don't need context, you don't need anything like that, but are you thinking about data security? And by that I mean you know even if you tell people not to do this, people are going to be in the field with their smartphone. They're going to have this app on there. They're going to snap a photograph of a projectile point at a site they're standing on trying to record because this is what I want to do. I'm saying people to do this because I will do this. Um, and they're going to snap a picture of that. And that picture is going to go to wherever the servers are that the algorithm is stored on. And it's going to evaluate it and send it back. Well, the more savvy people out there are going to go, okay, well, every time my phone takes a picture, it records location data it records gps information if you have it turned on but most people let's be honest probably have it turned on we we caution against that as many times as we can here on uh on archaeotech and other podcasts but the reality is most people probably have that turned on so if it has location data and it goes out to your servers how can you reassure people that that piece of information is not being stored somewhere on a server so without having 
built out what this is going to be because we haven't even exactly figured out what if we want this to be a desktop like uh, it will go to our website log in with a username uh, or if it's going to be an app we have not decided yet what to do with this uh, <laughs> uh, it's 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 uh evolved much more quickly than we expected and and uh, uh so you know and okay. first world problems right <laughs> um, so not yet thought about how to how to sell this thing because we are a for-profit company for those out there field technologies incorporated mm -hmm. um so we won't we will not be doing the, the paper writing about uh point typologies we'll leave that to someone that's willing to plug a bunch of random pictures into our our nice. uh, ai and see what comes out um so pay attention people that need easy <laughs> publications that are about to enter academia um uh yeah so you know we We've been through the whole security rigmarole with uh, our our first uh, product, Archeogen, which was a field recording, uh, um, uh, field data recording app. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is uh, presents a lot fewer security challenges because uh, you're, you're not having uh, you know hundreds or thousands of say shovel tests with GPS points and photos and who did them and what time and all that. Uh, we we really don't need any of that data. Um, also, uh, there's no way there won't be a way to associate. Say you send in uh, five different pictures, they won't really be associated except that you did five different queries. We on our end have no reason uh, <clears throat> or desire to uh, uh, try to figure out what you sent in because we have no way to. You know, our AI will just spit out the answer. There's nothing to learn from because well, there's no feedback. Uh, so, you know, your, your images would not be saved, uh, on our end, uh, they'd just be kicked right back to you with a, an analysis. Um, and quite frankly, uh, no single picture of a, an arrowhead is going to be very sensitive. Um, so we'll see what kind of, uh, you know, shippos always have real squirrely oddball questions that don't always make a lot of sense <laughs> because they're not tech people. <laughs> um, and there's, you know, more than 50 of them out there to deal with. Um, but I, I, having walked through, <laughs> walked through that, that jungle before, uh, I think it will be even easier this time around because, uh, it, it's a lot less, uh, a lot less to deal with a lot less data and a lot less, a lot less actual security, uh, concern, I think. So nice. I, I don't think it will be a serious question, but I could be wrong. Okay. Well, we'll just have to see how smart this uh, this AI gets because uh, we don't want we don't want to eventually find ourselves uh, you know living in Westworld, do we, Chris Sims? <laughs> no, we don't want to have any ghost in the machine here. Uh, you know, changing the way we do things. It's shooting us in the back of the head when we don't do it right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh God. So that's. <laughs> uh, Okay, I just derailed my own thought process. Um, are you, I know this is still real early days, but are you starting to consider um, for the future, once you get this nailed down and you figure out how you're going to market it and, and what you're going to do with it, are you considering other artifact types as possibilities for identification? Yeah, I think historic ceramics is the obvious one um, mm -hmm. because uh, it's likely to have distinguishing features that are visible in a photo. Um, Unlike say native pottery, where oftentimes like the fabric of the pottery is a major thing. Yeah. Um, uh, I we'll just have to see how she does with it. Uh, you know, that's even more fragmented in styles than projectile points, though. Uh, but it's also well dated for the most part. I can see it working really well on on uh, like makers marks on bottles and uh, bottles and pottery, like historic pottery, because yeah, bottles, sometimes that's another good one. 
Yeah, because sometimes that maker's mark is just too little, is too fuzzed out for your human brain to figure out. Like it's too amorphous or like on a piece of ceramic, it might be faded or it didn't take well to begin with when they put it on and they put a glaze over it or something. And and then the mark is, is complete. But the shape of the mark is something that an AI might be able to pick out and say, well, I can't tell exactly what it is, but it could be this, you know, something like that. Yeah. And, you know, you know, part of it will probably be determined by after this experience. And I, I never would have guessed that it would be so hard to lay my hands on even very well known, uh, <laughs> pretty ubiquitous uh, point types, laying my hands on, say, 50 images. It's hard to find 50 images of you know, anything that's not like a Clovis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the images that you have confidence that have, have been professionally identified. Um, you know, when you get to some of these regional types, it's it's near impossible. <laughs> I've got a bunch of them sitting in a bunch of folders sitting on my desktop waiting to be fed in that have like say six mm-hmm. um, of a type. Uh, but it, if they're pretty local and there's not a lot of examples, then eh, what are you going to do? Um, and I, I do worry that historic ceramics would be one of those where everybody's got one picture. There's lots of guides that have one picture or two pictures <laughs> of stuff but that really doesn't, get you very far uh, if you want your AI to be very good. Um, I don't know. Part of it's I'm not not sure yet what her her the boundaries on her capabilities are going to be. But but I think I think historic ceramics, the bottles, that sounds like a good one, too. might be the the obvious next one. Bottles, probably just because I think fewer people know or know how to look up bottles (laughs) Mm -hmm. than uh, historic ceramics. So that, that might be a good one. You might uh, you might contact the folks over at DINA, the Digital Index of North American Archaeology, and I'm not sure I'm not sure what level of detail they have in that stuff. But I know one of their hallmarks is that they, you know, if you're not allowed to see it, you don't see the location data, but you can probably see other data. And it depends on what the states have allowed to upload. So if any of the states have allowed them to upload, um, you know, information or pictures about projectile points and things like that, you might be able to get access to that, and uh, or even. Or even contact some of the state site files places and just say, hey, let me back in your records for a little while and uh, let me take some pictures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I haven't, haven't uh, contacted um, <clears throat> Dina yet. That's a good idea. Um, yeah. I've mostly been utilizing uh, at this point uh, better, better documented university re- uh, collections and museums. Uh, museums in particular tend to have drawers and drawers of unidentified stuff, but they tend to also have a lot of identified stuff. So you can kind of make a trade, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, trade in kind to uh, help them out. Uh, because, uh, you know, they tend to be very interested in the idea of helping to develop something that, uh, is, uh, you know, an untrained volunteer can come in and suddenly spend a weekend identifying your points <laughs> right. instead of needing to wait for an archeologist's attention. So, right. um, but I'm trying to utilize already existing images because it's very labor intensive to go and photo and write down uh, oh, yeah. you know, a bunch of uh, points. Uh, yeah, that that will eventually be what what I go with. But there's I might as well uh, <laughs> avoid doing that for styles that I don't have to. Uh, but ultimately, more and more data just makes it more accurate uh, up to a certain break point. Um, uh, just just looking at it, none of our point types have this many, but it looks like after about 2,000 images, uh, there's starting to be, uh, it, it does increase accuracy, but uh, it seems to be decreasing returns to, um, you know, it takes a long time to upload this stuff, if nothing else, um, but it looks like decreasing um, 
returns to uh, my time and the computer usage. Nice. I do have a question for you, Chris. Uh, what kind of portability are you looking at? You had mentioned that um, with a cell or Wi-Fi connection, it's it's uh, like an instantaneous result. Um, but as far as portability, um, do you foresee this being deployed in the field, uh, even despite uh, you know like connectivity um, limitations? Well, well, in, unless your cell phone can do several teraflops, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't foresee this being uh, sent anywhere but sitting anywhere but on servers that we've contracted to hold. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I do see that workable though. With uh, you know, with the workflow of things, even if you don't collect a point, you can still take a good photo in the field and uh, you know have a have a result for that. You know, on the on the back end in the office. And let's be honest, you never need to know right now what a point is, you know. No. <laughs> you can wait till you get back to your hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I need to know now, damn it. <laughs> it's a, it's the information age. It's 2017. Oh. I need to know six seconds ago. <laughs> well, that'll give, you, that'll give you a chance to impress people by making a guess. And then when you are, are accidentally right, you can impress people. <laughs> nice. I did my own version of this on a site. Uh, uh, years ago uh, out here in Nevada, we, we actually, we had a site that, that had very few identifying historics on it. And we had a couple bottle bases and didn't recognize the maker's mark. And, um, but it was, we could tell just by the material that it was on the cusp of being historic or not. So we actually needed to know right then whether or not we should record it or move on. And, um, you know, cause if we were going to record it, that's another two hours out of our lives. And if we're not going to record it, then we need to just move on and keep surveying. And so I took a picture while we were still of, of one of the, one of the bottle bases while we were still surveying the site and, uh, sent it out on Twitter. And within like, probably three or four minutes, I had the maker's mark identified in a reference <laughs> for where to find that. And it wasn't a recordable site. It was too new. It was too recent of a maker's mark. So uh, saved us saved us a ton of time. So there, you're right, though, with prehistorics, we're definitely going to record it every single time. So that not that big of a deal. Um, but when you get into the historic realm, man, it would be nice to have an answer back soon, especially for stuff like that. But you know, that being said, we're getting up into the area era where, you know, Gatorade bottles are historic. So who knows? It's anybody's guess. Anyway, uh, I was wondering, you know, just another idea for you for later on, because uh, this would probably take some doing and, and possibly even some funding. But having a crowdsourced website like, um, you know, like the old SETI at home or Galaxy Zoo or something where people can. Uh, the twist is people can upload pictures of points. They can say what they think it is or maybe they know what it is, but you put that into the pool and then other people look at it and identify it. And as soon as like 30 people agree what it is or whatever that number is, then you're pretty solid that you know what that point is. And then it goes into the, it goes into the AI, you know, it goes into the silo for that point. Um, that would bring in probably tons of stuff. And it was all, it would also legitimize or at least bring in um, the ability for, I guess, hobbyists to upload photos and things like that. Yeah. They, uh, you know, you know they, they have different, um, terminology though and they break out some points due to um artistic differences that aren't you know we, we live in an overlapping classification <laughs> world but not not the same so uh we're sticking with professional names so i i hesitate while i have reached out a lot to the collector community mm -hmm. i hesitate to use their names <laughs> uh, because they have different names for stuff and they'll have you know, they they will further subdivide you know a type based on you know what part of that type is prettiest. <laughs> mm -hmm. So 
I got you. Gotcha. Yeah, it's just it's it's a rat's nest of uh, uh, naming differences there. <laughs> so, do you have any idea what uh, what do you think the charge for this is going to be, or or where you're thinking, like what kind of range? Oh man, yeah. So I don't know. It. I suspect it's probably it will be cheap, but mm -hmm. uh, it will probably. I hesitate to put a number out there in case I come back and decide I can <laughs> get a CRM company to pay more. Um, but it, it was, uh, <clears throat> I would, I would be shocked if it was over, uh, you know, it will be a monthly subscription to okay. make unlimited number of queries is it, up to a certain reasonable ceiling, like a thousand or something. Gotcha. Um, it's, is probably the way it will be done. I, I like I say, I, the, the project has been progressing much more quickly than, uh, we'd ex expected. So, uh, <laughs> I got to mm -hmm. start thinking, so I, I got to, uh, put a UI on top of this cause I, I'm thinking I'm going to have a, a beta ready in a month. So, um, nice. it's, it's every day it's getting better. Um, yeah, so do you have a, 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 maybe a rough time frame on when somebody might be able to see this as a, as a purchasable thing, or at least a goal, let's say a goal for a time frame. Uh, well, I would like to, uh, I would like to bring it to market by the, you know, end of the summer. Okay. Um, I, it may be faster, man. A lot of this is, I mean, the big holdup is finding photo libraries of, of point examples, mm -hmm. um, you know, mostly working on the Eastern seaboard right now, but yeah, that, that is the big holdup. If I had all the data today, I could probably have the AI ready within two weeks, uh, <laughs> right. but I don't have all the data. I don't have a hundred photos of every single point type in the U S so, uh, that's just not a, a, an option. So that that's going to be the big one. Okay. Chris, you got any more final questions for, for Chris? <laughs> uh, I, my wheels are just spinning. I'm, I'm still, uh, caught up on the whole idea of localized expression and, and wondering how that'll be addressed in the, in the UI. Um, because there's, I guess a lot of double entries, you could probably call it. Uh, and I encountered a lot of that when I uh, lived and worked in Kentucky. There's so much debate regionally over uh, these, um, especially over like uh, late archaic stemmed points in the Ohio River Valley. And it's like, if you're in Louisville, Kentucky, they're going to call it a French lick phase point. If you're anywhere else, they're going to call it a Karnak point something like that. And they're essentially the exact same thing. And then, uh, with the diversity of, of chert types and all that, it can be any color of the rainbow. Uh, and they're all basically the same point. Uh, so it's just going to be really cool to see how this shapes out in the, in the AI and in the UI. In the last minute and a half here, uh, Chris Cameron, where can people send you photos and what are the requirements for those photos that you need? Uh, oh my goodness. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> my, the easiest is probably my work email, which is C C A M E R O N at field technologies, inc.com. Uh, all one word there. Um, uh, or if you're Facebook friends with me or know someone who is, you can find me there. Um, <clears throat> uh, just, um, Photos of it could be a tray full of points. It could be a single point you're holding in your hand or looking at on the ground. As long as there's a, a you know what it is already, and I can, you know, check it quickly to make sure you know what it is. Um, that's that's all I need. Um, I don't need to know where you found it, or you know, it doesn't need to be good lighting or a high quality photo. Uh, that's that's the big thing. And like I said, I mean, I can even take you know 
if you're a museum curator, you know, please, please contact me. <laughs> uh, you know, I just take a picture of your, your tray and, and with a, a list of what everything is and nice. you know, I can even break it into photos that way. And we don't need a measurements or any scale or anything in there. Nope. No scale okay. needed. No idea what the material is. I don't need any of that. And please only projectile points. Yes. <laughs> 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 nice all right well thanks a lot chris uh this was really fantastic and i hope to hear more from this space later when you guys are ready to talk about this again um or maybe some additions uh, changes or or it's deployed or something like that then uh let us know and we'll we'll let everybody else know via the podcast yeah if anybody out there that's a museum or a school or a company would be interested in beta testing please also drop mm -hmm. me one okay yeah awesome. this is very needed thank you chris all right. Well, thank you. And uh, we'll be right back with our app of the day segment. All these things we make no apology for the study of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs. Did aliens build Stonehenge? Did the Easter Island statues walk? Did the Vikings colonize Midwest America? What does mainstream archaeology have to say about all of this? Listen to the Archaeological Fantasies podcast and learn about popular archaeological mysteries, hoax or fact. Learn to tell the difference with Dr. Kenneth Fader and co-host Sarah of the Archie Fantasies blog. Check out the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash Fantasies and get ready to think critically. Let's get back to the show. Funny beady blokes you will see are a staple of archaeology. Okay, we're back from the break. Minus one, Chris. Uh, it was great having him on to hear about his uh, really cool app to, to identify points. It's very needed, and I'm excited to try it out once it's uh, available for testing. Um, so my app of the day isn't a, a app proper. Um, it's a bot and, uh, I'm, I'm going to cover resist bot. Uh, it's this cool thing. You can text resist to five Oh four Oh nine, or you can go online and, and just Google resist bot and you'll find it. Uh, but what it does is it asks you a series of prompts to find out your information, uh, basically based on your, your zip code and it finds out who your representative, uh, officials are. And it helps you, uh, it, it helps you stay more, uh, civically engaged, um, for various political, um, causes and, and all that. So, uh, the reason I'm covering this is because, on the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 111, uh, we talked a lot about uh, civic engagement and political action in the face of uh, Bears Ears National Monument and various other um, laws that are either on the table or have already happened um, that are threatening cultural resources and heritage and really our, our whole livelihood. Um, so, uh, yeah, just text resist to five Oh four Oh nine and, uh, get started and you'll figure you'll figure it out. It's pretty easy. Awesome. And yeah, if you're listening to this in real time on the day that this came out, the Sierra Mark podcast was yesterday. So like you said, episode one eleven. check that out. Uh, okay. So I'm going to cover, uh, SanDisk. If you guys have, I've talked about this before on various podcasts, but SanDisk is a company that does all kinds of things. You may know them from, 
Uh, you may know Sandisk from such apps as no. Uh, they make field hard. They make hard drives. They make uh, you know USB drives. They make all kinds of stuff. But one of the things I found really useful uh, back in uh, when I did a couple projects on Navy Land, and Chris was out there too uh, a couple years ago, was this little USB stick that they had called the Sand SanDisk Wireless Connect flash drive, and the the one at the time had this little this little door in it that you could open up that actually pull out the micro SD card that uh, that was actually the memory for the stick so you could spend thirty bucks on the smaller one rather than sixty or ninety or a hundred dollars on the bigger ones and just replace the micro SD card <laughs> so because what you were getting the, the the USB stick for was it created its own Wi Fi network and you could connect up to eight devices at a time to it and send information to it. So for doing in-field backups of digital data, we could do it without any connectivity or anything and, and send it back. You basically export the data from the app that you're using, whether it's photographs or database or whatever it is, into the SanDisk app, and then you connect your device to the, to the wireless network that the SanDisk USB drive creates, and then you transfer to that drive from the application. Um, and like I said, it was a really good way to do in-field backups. Well, one of the things we found out recently, and I'm not sure when this happened, I remember seeing them redesign that stick, I don't know, it was probably a year ago, and I never bought it because the two I have work great. But we bought a new one for Codify and found out that the old SanDisk app that they had, uh, which is kind of this blue app icon, doesn't work with the new stick. So they must have changed something in their programming. It's still a free app. I don't know why they had to change the app entirely. They're both still available on the net, on the web. Uh, on the app stores because you need the old one if you have the uh, the old stick. So, well, actually, I haven't checked that yet. I don't know if you can use the old stick on the new app, but I know you can't use the new stick on the old app because we tried that. Um, the new one's got yeah. some some fun little fun little graphics on it, um, things like that. You know, it's, it looks like carbon fiber or something. I actually bought one yesterday, but I haven't had a chance to really play with it but i did download the app it seems pretty intuitive pretty straightforward they kind of dumbed it down a little bit so which kind of makes it a little harder to use but it's still it's still pretty simple for all intents and purposes so um this is really not necessarily an app review except to tell you that get the right app and also some things they changed so it's more of a product review i think some things they changed on the new stick it's cheaper I bought the 64 gigabyte, which only cost me, I think, $35 or something. The 64 gig on the other one was somewhere around $60 or $70 um, a few years ago. So it's cheaper, which makes sense because memory prices come down um, as you move forward in time. So uh, so that's cool. They took away the little, the little window, so I'm not sure what their memory source is now internally, probably just what it usually is. It's not a little micro SD card anymore, though, probably, because you can't access that anymore. So that little trick is gone. <laughs> plus, plus another thing they did was the old stick had this retractable cover on it for the USB port. Um, it didn't cover the USB port end entirely, but it did slide up to where, you know, it, it like made it made it so most of the USB port was was not um, was not visible, which didn't really matter that much. But it was a nice little cover. Well, this new one has a removable plastic cover that also doubles as kind of an antenna extender. But the problem is for field work, that plastic, that cover is going to be gone. It's not going to last. So uh, it still works without it. You probably just need to be a little bit closer. I'm not sure how much it extends it. I haven't tested that kind of range. But um, but those are some of the small changes. For what you get for such a small package, though, and 35 bucks. I, I don't care what the problems are. It still works really well, and it's still really great. Even if you're just backing up photos from your tablet or your smartphone in the field, and you just want to have that extra security, um, 
you can do that to this really fast, really quickly while standing on the site before you go to the next site. And you can just have that, that peace of mind backup. So and it doesn't remove things from your device. It just copies them from your device. So now you have it in two places. So yeah, and it's a great device and, and really a great app too, because, uh, you know, you, you download the app on your tablet that lets you connect to this device and the way the workflow goes, uh, you know, as, as Webby was saying, you transfer whatever data off of your device into this, into the, the SanDisk stick, and then you connect the stick into a computer, uh, so that it, it gets, you know, whatever your data is into the computer for, you know, report writing or, you know, artifact cataloging and so on and so forth. Um, and so it's, it's a really a must have device for paperless archeology. span mm -hmm. Yeah. And Chris, I don't know, I don't remember cause we switched crews around a little bit when we were both working together, um, on that China Lake project, but I know my workflow at the end of the day. And sometimes we did this when I was crew chiefing, uh, if we had like a big site, lots of elements to record. Sometimes we do this during the day, um, at the end of the site recording, but we were all using, uh, we were all using tablets and we all had tap forms. So we were recording our separate things on our tablets. And at the end of the day, uh, I would turn on the, on the drive home, I would turn on that um, SanDisk app and the people in the car would export their data from TapForms, which means their photographs and their CSV data. It was a simple one button thing from TapForms. They'd move that over to the SanDisk app uh, internally by just using the open in function on, on iOS devices. And then the, the nice thing about the SanDisk app as well, which was really great for us, because TapForms, if you're exporting you know, California DPR 523 primary form A, that's what it's going to be called on every single tablet. <laughs> so it's going to say, here's, here's 523 DPR A or whatever we called the form, you know, dot CSV. And we're like, well, that's not helpful if I've got three of those. So, and you can't rename them in that application. So if you're using an application where you can't rename the export file, in the SanDisk app, you could rename it. So before they uploaded to the drive, which was just sitting in the sitting in the center console of the of the vehicle on our way home, I had people rename their files. So you know it would it would rename it by tablet number. So we had tablet number. So it's like iPad six, you know, then the date, then you know primary form A or whatever the heck they were yeah. whatever they were doing, and and then everybody could do that simultaneously. You didn't have to do it one at a time, and it was usually finished within the first you know, five, 10 minutes of the drive, uh, unless somebody had some information they were modifying and then they, then they would just do it later. Um, and then the battery life on these things, again, I haven't tested it on the brand new one. I just got it yesterday, but the, the battery life was amazing. I almost never charged it. And when we got home from work and I plugged it into the computer via just the US, cause it is a USB stick. When I plugged it into the computer and we were transferring data from it, Every time you plug it in, that's how you charge it. So it just charges off the USB part when you plug it in. So you probably never have to like consciously charge it because you're taking data from tablets and putting them into a computer. And when you do that, you're actually charging it. So yeah, yeah, it's a pretty great little device. Yeah, it's awesome. And we'll probably talk about this aspect more in depth on the CRM archaeology podcast. But uh, I know that, you know, for the field archaeologists, they really appreciate uh, not having to do more work outside of work as it were. And, uh, so, you know, if you knock out your, your paperwork, if you're going to call it that on a tablet, um, it, on your drive back to the office or, or back to the hotel or whatever, you know, that just, it's just one less task for the, the field archeologist to do at the end of the day. Um, you know, when they're back home or, or wherever. Uh, so that's nice too. 
All right. Well, I think that uh, I think that ought about do it. So if you've used this or other, I know there's a few other types of wireless uh, transfer mechanisms that people can use in the field, but I've never used them. So if you use one of those, leave us a comment. Um, if you use these, leave a comment. If you have some, you know, let's let's crowdsource the uh, the risks and benefits of using these types of things and yeah. uh, and get people's comments. So and then resist resist <laughs> and join join the movement whatever that means in your local area <laughs> yeah nice nice we don't want this to be we don't want this to become westworld where like four people are pulling the strings and we're all just marionettes on a landscape <laughs> yeah I, man we don't even know if it's four people what if it's just the one it could just be the one you're right so all right thanks a lot everyone thanks chris and uh we'll see you guys next time <laughs> see you That's it for another episode of the Archaeotech Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash archaeotech. If you like the show and want to comment, please do. You can leave comments about this or any other episode on the website or on the iTunes page for this episode. You can also email us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or use the contact form on the podcast webpage. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or tweet your questions with the hashtag archaeotech or tag at archpodnet in your tweet. Please share the link to this show wherever you saw it. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. You can also type the name of the podcast into your favorite podcasting app and subscribe that way. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It helps us get noticed so more people can find our podcast and benefit from the content. Also, send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.